Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Okay, we got our key ring. We had another key tonight. Remember, in case you just dropped in with us, the house is one house, and that's the marriage God, God has designed for you. And each key unlocks a door inside of that house. So don't think of it as different houses. You're in the house. The house is the Christian life, and the house is the marriage God wants you to have. And it starts off with believing, and then it goes to dying, and then growing, releasing Christ in you as you learn to do that. And tonight, we're going to talk about trusting, trusting. Well, I had a hard time deciding which passage to go to because there's so many. But I want you to turn to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I just want to look at that. I know it was in your homework, and I know you're so diligent to have done all of it, but... <laughs> But I want to focus in on it tonight. I just want to really clearly zero in on James chapter 1, uh, 2 through 4. But to get there, one of the things you can count on in marriage, and you've already discovered, how many, again, are not married in this class? Anybody not married? Okay, good. So most of us have been, and so this is why it's called I do what, not I did what. <laughs> Covers both groups. But one thing you can count on in a marriage is that you're going to go through trials. And what we're going to look at tonight is how to understand them a lot better. These trials will test your faith like nothing else. And I don't want you to forget the triangle. Because as both of you are, are living toward the Lord and you're letting Jesus be Jesus in you, then the two of you together bear up under the trials. Can one do it by themselves? Absolutely. But it's much more difficult. It's much better when both of you are growing and dying to self and trusting that way, whatever comes your way, you, you're together in bearing up under it. If we're not careful, however, a trial is one of the quickest things that gets your focus off the Lord Jesus. It's one of the quickest things that takes your eyes off of God. If you're not real, real careful, that's what it'll do. Uh, these trials can range, and you know what they're like. They're from illness to already to the, all the way to the extreme of a traumatic death in the family, can, from a mate that falls into the trap of sin, to a financial crisis that you're going through, to a dramatic job change in your life that just totally upsets everything and turns you upside down. I mean, it can be from A to Z. And it can be this big, and it can be huge. But what we need to understand is not so much what the trial is, but how we respond to it. And so to a lot of people who come and say, Wayne, I'm going through a trial, I simply say, welcome to the normal Christian life. What else did you expect? <laughs> For some reason, some people have this view that they get saved and nothing ever takes place again. Thinking, well, are you kidding? They intensify at that point. Well, the thing that we must begin to learn 
is a statement that I'll make over and over again probably before this course is over, and that is life works for us, never against us. In other words, if it's working against you right now, something's wrong in the way you're perceiving what's going on. Your perception's wrong. It always works for you, never against you, okay? Uh, life is all about preparing us to rule and reign with Him one day. Don't we forget our hope? Don't we forget it? Don't we forget where we're headed? <laughs> we're going to rule and reign with Him. And it's like a quarry. You know what a quarry is. And what, what life is, in my understanding, from studying Scripture, Romans 8, from James 1, from just every passage, Genesis 22, everywhere you go, it's, it's learning that God is chipping off everything in our life that doesn't look like Him. But the downer is you don't get to choose the tools that He chooses to use in our lives. It can be in the form of people. It can be in the form of circumstance. Sometimes it's the very mate that we're married to. <laughs> Dinah has said this, and she's been sharing, and she said the very thing that attracts you to somebody sometimes ends up being the very thing that's the problem, and you're trying to change them. And so it's like a, I remember Manly Beasley all those years. He used to call it heavenly sandpaper. And I, I like that. You know, I really like that thought. <laughs> the personality that's grating against you is God's heavenly sandpaper to smooth off the rough edges and to, and to pre pre present you in the form of Christ. Well, this matter of trusting God in the midst of the storms in our lives is critical to understand, and we're going to look at it in James chapter 1, 2, and 2 4. Keep remembering the triangle. Don't, if I don't say it, that doesn't mean I don't understand and want to get it across. It's Christ in you that helps you Enable, I mean, enables you to bear up under whatever it is comes your way. Sometimes a text won't say it as clearly as another text will. And so remember that as we walk through these verses tonight. Okay, first of all, I want us to look at God's priority for the believer in dealing with trials. He doesn't give a suggestion here. He gives a command. He's got a priority that we need to look at. He says in verse 2 of James chapter 1, Consider it... All joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And if when you first read that, it almost sounds sadistic, isn't it? He's not saying count it all joy in the pain. He's not saying count it all joy in the trauma. That's not what he's talking about. But you've got to go a little deeper to discover why he would say count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, we know they're believers because he calls them my brethren 15 times in the, in, the God, in the epistle of James. He calls them brethren, which shows you they are believers. We're dealing with believers. Now, he could be saying, okay, believers, gather around, gather around. Now, here's my first rule. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. He's not talking to the pagan world. He's talking to believers. Now, the word consider, consider it all joy. If you have a King James, count it all joy. The word considers the word that means to put this at the very top of your list. Make this a priority. It was used of a leader. Get out there in front. Don't wait on somebody else. You get out there in front and lead the rest of them. And it's a beautiful word. And when you find it in Scripture, it's translated different ways. But it has the idea of lead or put way out there in front or make it a priority. Now, here's the tense, and so often people get on me for using the tense and the voice and all that kind of stuff. Listen, that's what helps you understand what he's saying. Air is tense, but it's in a command form. When the air is tense, is in a command form. It's the Nike commercial. Do it. Do it. But it's keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Like we looked at in Romans, 
When he says present your bodies, don't do it one time. It's, it's in every circumstance you comes your way, this, this is important for you to start considering. Put, make this the priority of your life that you understand this. It's an imperative verb, which means it's a command. And it's in the middle voice. The middle voice means somebody, something is there to enable you. you. You come along and it's inviting you to join him. You choose to do it. He'll take it from there. Choose to look at life from God's point of view, not your point of view. And what's the first thing we do when we hit a trial? Pick up a phone call somebody. And what do they do? They give you what is known as an opinion. Of course, it's, it's sanctified and perfect. You know that. Because you call the next friend, and what do they do? They give you an opinion. And then you call another friend. And he says, don't stop looking at life that way. And start looking at it God's way. That's what he's going to bring out in this verse. Count it all joy, or consider it all joy, brethren. Now, the word all there is a really powerful Greek word. It means all. <laughs> but here's the... <laughs> I'm not making fun either. When you go through something and you turn, life can only be lived forward, correct? But it can only be understood backward. Now, when you go through something and you're on the other side, look back at it, and the word all, pos, means each and every piece plus all of it when it's put together. Now, count it all joy, brethren. Before the trial, during the trial, and after the trial, be able to say, I was able through Christ to, to look at this trial through his eyes and not through the world's eyes. Don't wait till it's over and then say, oh, no, I'm commanded to count it all joy. It's a little late. It's a little late to understand what he's saying. Count it all joy. Now, joy is not the word that the world thinks joy is. Uh, some people say, well, no, it's happy, happy. That's ridiculous. Happy comes from the Latin word hap, which means circumstance. So it means circumstantially you're happy. If things are good, I'm happy. If things are bad, I'm not. That's not the word at all. The word joy, you can be in the midst of the worst pain you've ever been through, weeping at the same time and still have this joy. Very similar to the word peace. In fact, they're put together quite often. And the word joy and peace, they're inner qualities. They're that's the character of Christ within you that gives you this joy of knowing something. Now, this, I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is very important. Remember John 15 and verse 11. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you. Now, what things is he talking about? I'm the branch, you're the vine. Now, learn to yield to me. And if you abide in me and, and, and my words abide in you, you'll produce much fruit. But you can't produce it apart from that. Apart from that, you can produce nothing. You've got to learn how to abide in Him. And as we've talked about all of that in the sessions that we've had up until tonight. These things, then, I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. Now, was Jesus' life a painless life? <laughs> I don't think so. In fact, when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweat drops of blood and then and he said, not my will, but thy will be done. So he's, his, he didn't live a painless life, but he, his joy. He said, so that, you, that my joy, my joy, not the joy of the world, he said, may be in you, and that your joy may, may be made full. And so it's, we're talking about something that only the Lord Jesus can produce inside of your life. In the midst of whatever storm you're going through, whether it's tragic, whether it's this big, whether it's that big, whatever. Okay. So consider it all joy. Only then will we have the ability 
when, when we're yielded to Him and when He's enabling us to, to look at life from His point of view, then we begin to have a joy. We're not by ourselves. In fact, if you study Romans real carefully, you never suffer alone as a believer. He suffers with you, and you suffer with Him. And so you're always, to, you've got Him, and there's other things that, that I want to bring out here. We as believers can count everything that happens to us as joy. Why? Because we know something. We know something that the world has yet to come to know. We're out there sharing it, but until they come to know Christ, they cannot know what we know. Look at verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. The word knowing there is gnosko. Gnosko is when you go to school to get, to, you have to go through an experience to have this knowledge. And what he's doing, he's saying, you already know this. Every experience you go through and you trust Christ, you have that knowledge that he's going to go through it with you. you. You can have joy in your heart because even though it was painful and even though it was difficult, you know that he was in control. Somebody asked me one time, what's the difference between the perfect will and the permissive will of God? And I have not got a clue. All I care about going through the trial is not some theological debate on did God cause it or did he allow it. I don't care. I don't really care if somebody can tell me. I want to know if he's in control of it. And that's the thing that brings me joy because I know something. I know that God knows. And I know that nothing gets to me that doesn't get to Jesus first because I am in him and he is in me. So therefore, whatever comes my way has got to come by Jesus first. We've gone through difficult times and we've trusted Christ through them then we're already beginning to learn this knowledge. We know that. We know that. We could go around the room tonight, and you could say, I had this experience. I had this trial. I had this, and God did this, and God did that, because it's already here. We've already learned as believers to trust Him no matter what's going on in our life. It's absolute joy to know that God is using our trials one by one to show us that in Him we can face anything. Isn't that incredible? All I hear when I turn the TV on anymore, and I, that's why I watch the Sportsman's Channel and the, the Outdoor Channel. I mean, very, very intelligent programs, and it takes a real degree to be able to understand it. But you watch it. It's all doomsday. It's all fear. It's all dread. It's all bad. I don't know if you ever read the book by Michael Crichton that wrote the book Jurassic Park. He called it the fear factor. And it was based on fact, and I won't tell you what the fact is he based it on because I'm not going to get into that tonight. But it was, it, it's something I, I really think he's got a point. The more fear you can cast, which is exactly what communism does, the more you can control the people. Cast the fear, you have the control. But you know one of the people that it's hard to deal with? That's a believer. <laughs> the, the Apostle Paul, they said they couldn't take anything from him because he didn't have anything. They couldn't. They couldn't uh, smear his name because he didn't have much of one. They couldn't kill him because he said, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. Now, what are you going to do with a guy like that? And that's what happens when you start trusting Christ instead of listening to how the world is looking at your situation. Well, he says that it produces endurance. The word endurance is epomeno, which means epo, under, meno, to remain. To be able to remain up under whatever it is that comes your way and to be able to walk through it. So it produces this, the considered all the, the testing of our faith produces this endurance. But the word produces is an interesting word. It's a word katergezomai. It means it, not to produce it like I'm going to go out of my shop and I'm going to take some wood and I'm going to produce something. No, 
It means to work out of you what God's already put within you. Isn't that incredible? So as you go through life and as you learn to trust Him, and whatever comes your way is simply another laboratory for what you say you believe, and He just gives you a little lab work, and you go into the lab, and here it is, here we are, and we're in a trial, and God says, okay, now, just continue to say yes to me, and I'll give you that ability, and I'll pull out of you what I've already put into you to enable you to bear up under whatever comes your way. And in 1 Corinthians says, nothing comes our way that he doesn't give us a way of escape. But the way of escape is not from it, it's through it. If you'll go back and study that passage real carefully. Well, Christ enables us to bear up under. So again, consider it all joy, my brethren. All you believers, come here, i got something to say to you. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And that word testing is a positive word. There are two words to test. One is used down in verse 13 and has the idea of to, to try to prove something negative. But this word is the word to prove something positive. In other words, if I came over to uh, your house, Bob, I came over to your house. And, and uh, I said, hey, let me go back. And it got a creek running behind it, behind it. And I go back there and I'm playing around in it and I find some gold. Oh, son, I found gold in that creek. But I can't keep it because it's his. And I take it to him and I say, I found gold and I put it in a bucket and I'm going to give it to you. I found it in your stream and I walk away. <laughs> he looks at his wife, Donna, and he says, that's the dumbest person I think I've ever met. That's not gold. That's fool's gold. And I'm going to prove to you, test it, and prove to you it's unworthy to be called gold. That's Perazzo, verse 13. But the word used in this verse is the word that means if I go back there and I find some gold stones and I'm thinking, well, I don't know what this stuff is, but it's kind of pretty. And I give it to him and I say, hey, give it to Donna. She can put it in her flower bed or something. It's really pretty stones. And I walk away and he says, good, great, that guy's an idiot. That really is gold. And I'm going to put it to the test to prove that it's gold. That's the word that's used right there. And every time God tests us, it's not the parazo word to prove us unworthy. It's always used in Scripture. First Peter, all of them, it's used to prove himself worthy in your life and to prove you worthy. It's not ever out to get us. He already has us. So the testing of your faith just simply produces, pulls out of you what he's already put within you. So our absolute priority is to consider every trial that comes our way as being an instrument that God wants to use to prove not only himself, but us as well. <laughs> and this gets real practical. This goes right home to where you live. Dinah bought me a sports coat a few years ago. Brand new. That's a pretty sport coat. I couldn't wait to wear it to church. And I had a pair of dark slacks. It was a light-colored sport coat. And, and I'd always go by and get some coffee and bring them up to the church. And, and we'd always meet early on Sunday mornings, a bunch of us. And I went and got some coffee and bring it. I was walking up the steps, and I had all my, my Bible up under here. And I have to have a breakfast of champions from McDonald's. And so I had that, and I had the coffee. And I'm walking up the steps. And just, I don't know why, I had the thought. I'm thinking, you know, you're carrying too much. And about that time, my foot missed the step. And I kicked it, and that coffee came over. And this is an off-white coat. And it hits my coat and just goes right down. Man, kind of all joy, brethren. I got in my office, and we have a little stick, a little tied stick that we, we, we pass around. I think Becky keeps it hers in her office now because everybody's afraid I'll get the wrong one. But it was, it was red. Have you ever seen one? It's got a little red top. What does that look like, by the way? Have you ever seen one? What does it look like to you? 
A red what? Magic marker. And I knew I had one in my, on my desk somewhere. And I went and I looked and I saw the red top. And I grabbed the red top and I said, maybe I can get this coffee off with this stain remover. And as I was doing it, it was turning red. And I'm thinking, why is it turning red? This stuff. And not only was it a magic marker, it was a permanent magic marker. I had to turn around, get in the car, drive home, change trousers because I had the wrong color, and put on a coat, and come back to the church. And when I got into the auditorium, Terry <laughs> was singing. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. He gives, and I'm singing. He gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> Uh, our absolute priority <laughs> is to remember everything works together for good. And we'll look at that in a moment. God's doing something that you can't see. That doesn't mean you rejoice in the pain. It doesn't mean you're sadistic and you want bad things to happen. It simply means you can have joy, count it all joy, because you know who's in control. You know, you know he could have stopped it, but he chose not to. And you also know that he's going to use it for your good. And that's what causes us to have joy, no matter what it is that we go through. A very similar passage to one I just quoted, Romans 8. You want to turn there? Romans 8, 28 and 29. This is a powerful verse. I, I wish I could just do Romans again, because that's what makes me want to do that every time I read any verse out of Romans. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know <laughs> that God causes all things to work together for good, to the, who, those who love God, present tense, who are loving God. Remember what he said in John 15? You love me if you what? If you obey me. A person says, oh, I love God. Really? You love the American flag and grandmother. I mean, what, what is the word love you want to use there? Because love is not bar, far beyond an emotion. Love is a willingness to obey, to yield, to, to surrender to him. He said, now, these are the people that are aware of this. He said, to those who are, and this is present tense again, called according to his purpose. And you think, well, what in the world is his purpose? Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed into the image of Christ Jesus, his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. I, don't, I know you don't think I have much class because I'm a redneck and I'm a hunter, but I want to tell you, I got a lot of class. In high school, I was an usher. Are, are you jealous? Of the Roanoke, Virginia Symphony Orchestra. I love classical music. I'm the only one in my family that does. I've never been able to hear very well, so they could always hear me three blocks away because I love it loud. And I love the bass. And my favorite instrument is the French horn. And I love to go see them. I love, to, I love classical music. Well, I got to go and usher. Well, once you've ushered and got everybody sitting down, you can just sit and watch. And I loved it. I loved it. I couldn't take opera, and ballet rather, and all that kind of stuff because I couldn't take men wearing tutus. But I loved the orchestra part of it. But have you ever been to an orchestra? Have you ever been to a symphony concert? And have you ever gotten there a little early and listened to them practice? Does that sound bad or what am I saying here? I mean, you're thinking, I paid money to hear this? And you hear, bleep, 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 And then guys, blowing saliva all over the floor and then they and you think how in the world is this ever going to sound and one old boy walks up there it gets everybody's attention everybody gets quiet and he <laughs> raises those hands and what does start happen he starts making all those uncertain sounds come together in the most beautiful music you've ever heard in your life 
He is causing it to work together for good. That's exactly the word that's used there. It has the idea that he's orchestrating your life. Wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I've got to say something here, Lord. Uh, whoa, you mean that person you dropped into my life that wrote that drive-by shooting email to me? Are you telling me he's part of the music? And God says, that's exactly right. You wouldn't be who you are had I not dropped that little instrument into your life. Well, what about this circumstance? What about this tragedy in my life? I don't think we get it, folks. We think we know what the orchestra is supposed to sound like. God knows what it's supposed to sound like. And he's the one orchestrating the events, people, circumstances of our life to let people look at us and, be, and us be proven in the midst of it. So when they look at us, they don't see us. They see Jesus. And that's the whole thing. In fact, I believe that unless we're willing to get God's view on how we deal with life, we have no witness to anybody. You can witness and cram a track down somebody's throat, but they're going to watch you like a hawk when you go through the difficulties of your life. And when they see you walking and bearing up under the things that you do, they know you, and they say, you know what? That's not him. There's a God around here somewhere, and it's got to be living in him because I know him, and he can't work that way apart from God. And so what happens? You begin to frame a witness to other people. The persecuted church. Go back and ask. Remember what God did? They were all together. Move, go, go. We're not going anywhere. Okay. Boom. He hits the puddle and splatters them all over the world. Through what? Through persecution. Go back. I mean, you just walk right through it. And what's God saying? Man, you got a message, but buddy, it better be in your life. Because when you say something, the people are going to watch you. And where they're going to watch you the closest is when you go through the darkest hours of your life. Is that really real to him? And I'll tell you, when it is, you've got a message to share. One day, I'm just thinking of how, the, how practical this thing is, the trials that this seemed to hit us up, upside the head, literally, and there's no pun intended, but that's exactly what happened to me. One day, I preached on victory in Jesus, my Savior, which used to be the Baptist National Anthem, I think. And, I'm, you know, we have it everywhere plastered. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and Boy, we got victory. We got victory. <laughs> and the next morning, God decided to see whether or not I really understood what I preached. He has a way of doing that. His bugs a stew out of me. I can't go four days and he doesn't test me somehow of what I just said. So Dinah and I were looking at the checkbook, and we had a $400 mistake in the checkbook. Now, that's an interesting thing, because $400 was $4,000 back then. I mean, it was a lot of money to us. And somebody, somebody... <laughs> had forgotten to put the check in. Now, this is interesting to me. Here you are, Steve. Have you ever tried to fake victory? Come on now, come on. Have you ever tried to fake it? If you're going to fake it, you've got to learn how to smile. And you've got to learn the second rule, which is never open your mouth. You are dead in the water if you open your mouth. Keep a smile there, but don't say anything. And I was standing there thinking... Lord, I love this lady. She's just my best friend. But Lord, what happened to the chip in her brain that could have put that check in a checkbook? But I'm, it's going to be okay. And she's standing there thinking, this is the biggest goof I've ever could have married. He did it. Now, I'm going to go ahead and let you know. I did do it. But right now, we don't understand that, okay? <laughs> right now, that's totally beside the point. 
Now, when you're trying to fake victory, you've got to have that confident God's in control smile. And then you've got to learn to turn away spiritually. Don't jerk. Don't jerk. You're dead. You're dead. They know you don't have victory. That's you. That's your flesh. Just turn away. Don't say anything. And you walk over to a door. When you open the door, you've, to the garage it happened to be this time, and I opened the door. You have to open it spiritually. You don't grab that thing. You grab that thing, you're dead. I opened the door, stepped outside. Now, the real test is when you close it. <laughs> Somehow, wives, guys, have sensitive ears as to what it's supposed to sound like when you close the door. And you close the door off, man, it passed all the way through there. And I got out in the garage, and I wanted to throw something. That's the first thing that hit me. I just want to throw something. I don't hurt anybody. I want to break something, though. And I couldn't find anything that had a handle on it to throw it. My garage was clean. And so I walked over. We didn't have the electric kind. You had to push your, you know, back in those days, you had to go over and pull them up. And I walked over, and the only thing I could find that had a handle on it was that garage door. And I reached down, and you know the, the movie, The Hulk? Don't you love this guy? He's a little bitty dude. He would come, you know, I'd love to have had that. When I came up in church, when I was first pastoring, we had uh, deacons meeting and church business meetings. Oh, they'd bust people in. Hadn't been in church in months. And it's like, you know, I always wanted to have the ability to be the hook in one meeting. You know, it's just like grab the table and go, you know, you know and the buttons flying off of you, the shirt ripping and telling the deacons, I want a $50,000 raise. You want what? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but all that frustration went into my right arm. <laughs> and I grabbed that handle, son, and I was going to do something with it. I didn't know what. And I just went, threw that thing back as hard as I could throw it. Now, Christian builders, they put these little stoppers on the end of the thing. So if it comes back, it goes, boom, and it comes back like it's supposed to. But a pagan built my house. He didn't put those little stops on. And that sucker goes back, jumps the track, and the first piece falls down. Now, you know what's about to happen. I learned that meaning of in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. That means quick. And I looked, and here comes this 175 at least pound part of the door, a third of it, hanging down, coming right straight back from my head. I couldn't move. Bam! It hit me upside the head. I'm walking around in my garage thinking, victory in Jesus, my Savior. Looked at my son's basketball goal, and I saw five of them, and I'm thinking, I know that's not right. I knew I'd had a concussion or something, but I couldn't tell Diana because I got victory. <laughs> well, those trials are going to come, and God's first priority in the trials, count it all joy. <laughs> Consider it all joy. Even through the pain, it's not the pain you're rejoicing about. What's God trying to teach you in this? Boy, I got the message real quick. Quit blaming your wife for everything. Roy Hessian told me one time, always be the wrong one, never the right one. He wrote the Calvary Road. And I thought, well, that's not fair. They did it to me. He said, yeah, look how you're reacting. You've already stooped to their level. So count it all joy. Look at it from God's eyes. He's trying to teach you something. Secondly, God's perspective. Now, we got the priority, right? God's perspective for the believer in dealing with trials. And he's got some stuff in here that are powerful. First of all, consider it all joy, my brethren, when and, uh, you encounter various trials. Let me explain a trial. The word is perosmos, but it has the idea... If you were a scientist and you wanted to do, conduct an experiment that you weren't real sure how it was going to turn out, 
that you'd use that word. It's a situation in this particular context that you're, you're, God's trying to show something, whether it's genuine or not. He's trying to prove you genuine. He's trying to prove himself to you. However, you have a choice in this, and it may not come out the way he wants it to come out. You do have something involved in it. And if I'm not willing to look at it from his point of view, then I'm going to miss what he's been trying to do in the trial. So it's, it's, it's interesting that it was used for an experiment because that's not really what he's saying in here. I'm experimenting with you or something like that. It's not what it means. But it has that sort of idea to it. You're not really sure where it's going to come out. It's how you respond to it. Trials, and, and he's not interested, by the way, in the whole book of James. He's not interested in how, what trial you're going through. His whole interest is how you respond to it. Trials are not only what God uses to prove himself, but they're necessary for us to be proven before others, as we said earlier. So the fact that trials are coming our way is, is absolutely biblical and guaranteed. How do you know that? Consider it all joy, brethren. What? What's the next word? When. <laughs> Rats. I wished it was if. We got a little better shot at it then. He doesn't say if. It says when. Write it down. It's not a matter of, of if. It's a matter of when. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, how do we know when they're coming? If they're coming and we know that they're coming, is there any way to know when they're going to hit us? No. And I'll show you why. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe you can see why the priority to count them all, consider them all, all joy. Get that attitude in your head first because you don't know when they're coming. You'll be in a trial before you even know that you're in a trial. How do you know that from the text, Wayne? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials that's what my translation says the word encounter parapipto you know what's that well it means to stumble into something you didn't plan on it it's not jumping into it even though it's used for fall it has the idea of just that you didn't plan on falling you didn't plan on stumbling right into this thing and before you know it you're already in the midst of it my college basketball year when i was a freshman i was on the starting team had my nose broken five times, four times in basketball, which is a non-contact sport. You don't understand that. And we were playing this team, and everybody on my starting lineup had, nine, had double figures, and I had, only, uh, I had up to nine points, and in fact had nine points in this particular game. A friend of mine that I grew up with and was at the line, and I broke my nose all these times getting him the ball so he could shoot and he could get all the points. Anyway, he was standing there. He said, Wayne, if I miss, we're going to throw the ball out to you. Stay out there, and we know you can hit it. Go ahead and shoot from out there. Sure enough, he missed, and they took the ball and whipped it right over to me. We're in front of our home crowd. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I really don't. It's just all of a sudden, a, something happened in my brain, and I grabbed the ball and turned and started toward the other end of the court. I don't know why. I, don't, I have no idea. I can't go back and help you with it if it's a question. But I got to about the half court, and they were yelling at me, no way, no, wrong goal, wrong goal. And, Suddenly it dawned on me what I was doing, and I tried to drop the ball so one of them could pick it up. But when I dropped it, it fell between my legs, and I fell over it on my chest and my face and slid right up under the feet of my coach sitting on the bench. <laughs> I just got up, walked around, sat down. I figured I was coming out. You know, it's like I didn't plan to do that in front of the home crowd. <laughs> You stumbled into it. I stumbled into it. That's what the word means. You're in it before you even know you're in it. Oh, my gosh, this is a trial. That's why the, the, the priority's got to be set. You gotta you've got to 
come to that point that everything in life God's in control of and everything in life God's using for your good and everything in life he'll take you through it before you ever hit the trial because if you wait till you've stumbled into it it's a little late and sometimes we don't even recover before that thing has really beaten us down you're going to try before you ever know it wouldn't it be great to plan our trials wouldn't that be great I've got every <laughs> I've got every tool that a person needs to be organized and uh, Becky, my assistant, can tell you that I don't use any of them. I use her. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't, it be great to, wouldn't it be great, though, to take your planner, the leather ones, Franklin Covey, and you just brought a brand new year's worth of stuff. And it's Monday of the week. And you sit down and say, God, I know trials are coming this week. I really do know. How about Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock? Hold it, got a haircut. How about 3 o'clock? 3 o'clock. Is that good? Is that good with you? I'm not going to put this in ink unless it's good with you. Is that good with you? Good. I'll put it in ink. 3 o'clock trial. What happens on Thursday? You get up that morning, you fast, you pray, you get into Word, you begin to memorize Scripture. Man, you are ready. Come on. And the trial hits you. Slam dunk. It's a piece of cake. Let's do this again. Lord, what about Monday afternoon at 4 o'clock? But that's the uniqueness of this. You don't get to plan them. Right when you think it's not going to happen, look out. That's why your attitude has got to be life is a big quarry and God, life is working for you, not against you. And if you I got an email this week from a, a gal that was in our church in Chattanooga and she said the teaching on James 1, it's interesting that I was going to do this anyway. Two through four, we have a little child that has, has physical problems and she said it's been the most difficult, tragic last two years in my life. But she said the thing was the teaching on James 1, 2 through 4. Knowing that my God's in control. Knowing that he's going to bring the good out of this thing. Knowing the fact that he's with me all the way through it. And knowing the fact he'll help me to bear up under. It's the sweetest note. It just blessed my socks off when I got it. I haven't seen this gal. She was single. She's married now. And she's in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. She's been away for a long time. Really blessed me. So you're in a trial. Before you ever know it. We don't have the luxury to plan them. Now this thing, this is what will bless you. Your trial when it comes your way. This is, this is God's perspective he wants you to have. Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter what kind of trials? Various is New American Standard. Some of them say divers. <laughs> That's great English. I'm sorry, I love the King James English, but it's just 360 words have completely changed since it was translated. Just want you to know that. Not, they don't mean the same today as they did when it was translated. So it just throws me every now and then. When I get into it, it's not that it's incorrect or anything like that. It's just it ties my tongue up when I try to get it. But that's okay. It says here a lot better. I can understand it. Various trials. Now, the word various means multicolored. It's, uh, this is good. Look at 1 Peter 4.10. Oh, man. When you find a word like multicolored, you better check it out and see what other company it keeps. Trials are multicolored. This one's blue, that one's red, this one, you know. It's a multicolored. When you look at all your trials, there are different colors. 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the what? The manifold grace of God. The word manifold in a Greek is exactly the same word. Why in the world they call it various over here and manifold over there? I don't know, but it means multicolored. You know what the grace of God is? If I gave you a test tonight, the grace of God is God's 
supernatural ability within you to enable you to do whatever he requires from you. It's his transforming, enabling power. Jesus is the embodiment of the grace of God. He lives within us in the person of his Holy Spirit. And so he lives within us. So not only is my trial color-coded, the grace that enables me to bear up under it is color-coded. But it's used again. Look in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. Ephesians 3 and verse 10. Man, this thing just lights my fire every time I look at it. He says in Ephesians 3.10, I'm going to break right into a context because I'm not going to hurt it at all. I just want to show you the association of the word. So that the manifold, multicolored wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, what, what have we got here? We've got multicolored trials, the same word used for grace, multicolored grace, and the same word used for wisdom, which is the ability to take God's word and uniquely put it and apply it into your practical circumstance of life. Knowledge is knowing it, but wisdom is knowing how to apply it. So I've got the trial, I've got the grace, and I've got the wisdom. It's multicolored. You say, well, what's that got to do with anything? Just, oh, it's multicolored. I learned what that meant when I worked for a telephone company. I was in school and flunked out. <laughs> And went home. And I was sick of school anyway. I loved college. I just hated class. So I went home and my daddy helped me get a job at the, uh, the telephone company there. in Chesapeake Potomac uh, Telephone Company, I believe was the name of it, in Virginia. Started off as a lineman. I hated that. I hated that. You have string and strand. And that stuff, man, I just hated it. I just hated it every day. And the first day on my job, the guy took off he started throwing things up threw a cumberland at me from off of a pole which is a big heavy thing and when he did the the foreman looked at me and said what are you going to do about that so he came down and i grabbed that sucker and picked him up above my head and started running down the street and i had this thoughts going through my mind now what are you going to do <laughs> i didn't know what to do with him once i got him up here and i threw him up in a yard and I, but i hated that 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 part of it. so they said well, we're, we're going to put you on a cable splicers team and you're going, to be the, you're going to be an assistant cable splicer, or whatever they called it, which you know what that meant. It's a glorified janitor. The guy gets cold, you keep him warm. If he needs something, you go get it. it just, it's, that's what it was. He wants to work, you work. You don't take off when you want to take off. You have to be there when the splicer is there. We'd work in manholes, had people throw things down, spit on us, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we worked out of town, and they gave us a uh, voucher for meals. So I didn't eat breakfast, and I didn't eat lunch. I saved my whole voucher for that night. I'd never had a real steak until that. Before, it was always cube steak or hamburger steak. My mama said it was real, and I just believed it. But I got my first real steak. And, man, I, all I had to do was take one bite out of that, and I knew I wasn't going to eat breakfast or lunch again because we had so much money a day that we had a voucher to eat. Well, we worked on a pole. <laughs> they wouldn't let me climb. They did not give me a set of climbers and would not let me climb. I could climb up the pole, but I couldn't climb when you put those climbers on, they wouldn't let me do it because they said I was too big. One night we're working on it, and I'm watching him splice. Now, if y'all worked at a telephone company, you know what I'm talking about because I can't remember the colors now. I'm going to guess at them. Blue, orange, yellow. There's different colors. Well, you take this cable, you split it, and you're, you're putting this, you're splicing it. So you have to put the yellow with the yellow. Oh, I see. The blue with the blue, the green with the green, or whatever the colors were, and I can't remember. And that was back in the days when you had to do the splices that way. One night, 2 o'clock in the morning, something went wrong at the base office in Roanoke, which was an hour and a half away. We were in, Rat we were in Blacksburg, Virginia, where Virginia Tech is. 
And he said, Wayne, you're going to have to do this splice while I'm gone. <laughs> you know how to do it? Sure, man. Orange, blue, orange, yellow, yellow, blue, blue. I said, yeah, I can handle it. I got you. I got it. He gets in the car and drives all the way to Roanoke. This is 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm looking at that. Well, the light's swinging. wind's blowing. And that little light that was run by a generator, that thing, that thing would get dim. And I'm thinking, is that yellow? Is that orange? <laughs> oh, it looks orange. Put them together. By myself. I knocked out 12,000 phone lines in Blacksburg, Virginia in less than an hour. It took them about three days to get the thing corrected. It took, for, took no time to knock them all out. So they suggested to me that um, I go into the ministry. But what, <laughs> what I want you to see is it's color-coded. And I want you to hear this because I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you're in the trauma of a, a tragic situation. I don't know if you're going through a, a decision. You have to Listen, when you go through it, if it's a red trial... You get the red grace and the red wisdom. You don't get anything less or anything more. You get exactly what you need in the Lord Jesus. If it's a blue trial, you get the blue grace, you get the blue wisdom. It's exact to whatever it is that you're going through. And that began to dawn on me. My trials are tailor-made because God knows what I can take and what I cannot take. And he knows how to walk me through the storms that I go through in life. Well, God's priority for a believer is that he deals with trials as he deals with trials, is to count it all joy, consider it all joy. Put this as a priority because look at it from his point of view, not yours. There's something bigger on the other end that you haven't seen. There's something he's doing in your character. There's something he's doing in your walk with him. There's something he's doing in causing you to trust him and you've not been here before. And this time it's not red, it's blue. And this time it's not blue, it's yellow. It's the changes as you go through it. No trial. And by the way, you can take all of my trials and put yours up next to them and they'll be different because they're tailor-made to the individual. But God knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly the power to get you through. Thirdly, after we see God's perspective is that he deals with, as we deal with trials is to trust him to provide whatever is needed to walk through them. Thirdly, is God's purpose for the believers they deal with trials. He said and let, in verse 4, and let endurance have its perfect result. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in what? In nothing. Remember I told you nothing is a zero with a lid kicked off. There's nothing you lack. Now watch. As we go through these trials, we didn't get to plan them. God proves us to us that he will enable us to get through them. But his goal for us in them, among many things, is that we learn to come to that place in the midst of the trial where just trusting Him and being in His presence is all we want anymore. We don't want anything else. A lot of people use the book of James to prove healing and everything else. I'm sorry, I question that because the first chapter is not how to get out of them, it's how to bear up under them. Everybody's looking for an escape clause. Everybody's, how, can I, how do I get out of this? and How do I get out of that? And God, deliver me. And God says, I am delivering you. Not from it, but through it. I'm teaching you something as you go through it. That's the key. Well, he says to let endurance have its perfect result. The word perfect means the purpose or goal that is reached. It's not perfect like we think of perfection. You're not going to get there. But let endurance reach its accomplished purpose. If I'm running a, a track meet and there's a goal line down there. By the way, did you watch the Daytona 500 the other day? Man, that was awesome. I remember rednecks or NASCAR. You understand that? And matter of fact, Terry Adams sent me a, a message and said, first day of spring for rednecks is today, Daytona 500. So 
That's when they look at spring and they don't look at anything else. It's just the way it is. But that goal line, that young guy that got it only ahead two laps of the whole 500 laps, and he wins the race. When he crossed that finish line, that guy is taking that checkered flag, and he's running it back and running it back and running it back, and he runs out in the middle of the field and spins that car around. That's the word perfect. He crossed the finish line. He accomplished the goal. There is a goal that God has in every trial. So let, it, let that endurance that he's giving to you achieve its, its accomplished result, okay? So that you may be perfect and complete. The word complete means lacking in nothing. And he explains it, lacking in nothing. When we're walking through trials, trusting Christ and only him, we begin to realize how he's carrying us through. But something else is happening. It's like if you're in a sickness, you're not laid aside by illness, you're called aside to stillness. And something's going on that you didn't even know could even go on. And if it hadn't been for the illness, you'd have never been this close. And all of a sudden, you begin to bask in the presence of God. And all of a sudden, all it means to you, all it counts to you, is just to be there. And it's, whatever you do, Lord, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The oneness that we have right now, right now, that's what I want. I don't care what you do. Heal me. Don't heal me. Take me. I don't care what you do. I just want to be in your presence lacking nothing right now. That's what he's talking about. How do you know you pass the trial when you get to that place? Doesn't matter from that point on. It's a mute point. God's accomplished his purpose in that trial of doing what? Of drawing you to a place you hadn't been before in your walk with him. So that you might be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. The word perfect there means mature. You come to the place that the, the trial has accomplished its purpose. Well, we come to the point that He is all we want and all we need, so nothing else matters. When all fears are dismissed, all strings that you had on it, God, if you'll just do it this way, are cut. And when we just want Him and only Him, then we pass the test no matter what else takes place. He's proven himself to us. He's proven us, by the way, in the midst of it. And people around you know that. People around you know that. All our trust is in him. The trial has brought us closer to him than we ever thought possible before the trial. Dave and Charlene know a man by the name of Manly Beasley. I've already mentioned him once tonight, and he's just on my heart. Manly said he went into a hospital one time. The lady was very ill. She'd been there quite a while, and she'd called for Manly Beasley, the man of faith. 14 different terminal diseases, and somehow God kept him alive. Carried people, people had to carry him to the pulpit, and he'd grab hold of the pulpit. His son, when he started preaching, it was like, it was amazing what God did to him. When he was finished, they had to come and pick him up, put him back in a wheelchair, wheel him back. Manly went in this room. She thought, if anybody can, he's a man of faith. His whole message was on faith. And she said, if anybody can pray for me to healing, he can. He went in the room and she said, Brother Manley, will you pray for me to be healed? <laughs> you have to know Manley Beasley. He said, maybe I will, maybe I won't. <laughs> I love it. Said, what do you mean, maybe you will, maybe you won't? He said, before I do anything, tell me about what God's done for you in the midst of this illness that you've had. And said, for almost an hour, she began to share what God had done in her life. She had never known him like she knew him there. And so when she finished, he said, now let me ask you again. Do you really want me to pray for your healing? It's interesting how we look at life. It's interesting how we look at life. I hear him on television. It says God will never let you get sick. 
That's in the book of Hesitations. Look at Paul when he finished his ministry. Where was he? In a hole that they couldn't even find. And stuff all over. They talked about those prisons in Rome, how bad they were. I don't get it. He died with no money. Oh, it'll make you healthy and wealthy. Good grief, where is that stuff coming from? Not coming from God's Word, that's for sure. All the things that we're looking for externally, He's already provided to us internally. That, that, that's a guarantee. That's His promise. Well, when you... When you trust Jesus in the storms of life, when you let him into your pain and your fear, you find yourself where he wanted you to be spiritually when the storm's over, but you weren't there. Is that in Scripture, Wayne? Well, let me just give you a passage. Our daughter called us this week and really blessed me by what's going, some things going on in their life. She gave me this Scripture. John 6, 16 through 21. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the Sea of Capernaum, or to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Well, Lord, you're just a little slow here. We'll just go ahead and kick the thing, thing into gear. We'll just go on and do it ourselves. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, when that, when, by the way, if you've never been on the Sea of Galilee, you don't understand. Boy, those, that thing had come up so fast. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they're frightened. And he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat. Now watch. And immediately the boat was at, a, as, as, was at the land to where they were going. And it dawned on our daughter and it dawned on me when she was sharing it with me good night 11 i'm headed to capernaum or i'm headed to that place or i want to walk with god and god says ah got a little storm brewing here he starts walking out across it and, and you receive him into it lord i can't handle this you never said i could all of a sudden before you even know it the storm's over and you were you've been trying to get to but only by the means of the storm did you get there so you might want to think about those things. Uh, uh, to me, that's, that's important. Trust and obey, for there's to be happy in Jesus. And obey. Bottom line. Okay, now Dinah will come and just smooth everything out. <laughs> the messes I make. She seems to make them better. Come on, Diana. Thank you for sharing that tonight. That, that's right where we live, isn't it? We somehow think when we get saved, when Christ comes to reside within us and dwell within us, that it's going to be smooth sailing all the way. I thought when I was a younger woman <clears throat> that when our children grew up and after we'd gotten their college paid for and then it was just Wayne and myself that we would have loved the Lord so, pray so, read the scriptures so that life would just be smooth sailing. But you know the trials that you have when you're younger only prepare us for when you get older because the trials seem to get more difficult, don't they? But don't let that 
be a fearful thing to you, some of you that are young. <laughs> Somebody's always saying, oh, no, already. Um, but, but God grows you, and he, he enables you to trust him. And, um, and we never want to let you think that we've arrived or that we so totally understand it because um, I know from my own self, and Wayne would agree with this and for himself, that um, you can trip up so easily. And I'm just thankful that God gives us provision in his word that we can come to him and be forgiven and cleansed and walk right on. As soon as you fail, you just run to him. One of the stories that I was hoping you would tell tonight and you didn't was while he was preaching through the book of James in Chattanooga, Tennessee, he had, um, we, we had one uh, car and we needed another one. So he found one. We didn't want to go in debt for it. And so he bought a truck from a friend. And after we got the truck, I don't know if the guy was a friend or not. Um, but um, it, was, it was just a piece of junk. It really was. But we didn't live too far from the church. So it would, it would get Wayne from the home to the church and church back home. Well, one Sunday morning, the truck stopped. And we lived so close to the church, you'd go out of our neighborhood, take a right, and then the first left. So it was very close. Well, he was driving the truck, and the, the truck didn't have a floorboard. I mean, it had a, if you moved the mat, you could see the ground. And uh, he did know it when he bought it. And I, I never could figure out why he bought the thing, but, but he did. And, and uh, so the truck stopped. Well, he was preaching through James, and, and uh, some of the church members, some of the guys, are, they would roll down the window as they saw him walking to, to church and saw the truck sitting back a few feet, and they would say, Count it all joy, my brethren. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and, and these are the kind of friends Wayne has. And, uh, <laughs> and he'd take a few more steps, and here'd come another uh, uh, member of the church, and they'd say, Count it all joy, my brethren. So, <laughs> so he was tested on what he was preaching. You know, Wayne was talking tonight about um, that we, we do have trials in our life. And, and um, I want to read to you from John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said, well, if you want to turn there, you can. I, I'll stop when I hear the pages stop. I don't know why we think it's strange that we fall into various trials because we are told about this in the scriptures. And I think we think that God must be so pleased with us that he would protect us and, and keep us from all harm and, and all heartache. And we would be such wimpy, whiny people if we didn't go through trials because God grows us in him in the trials. John 16, says, if you take right into a few words there, he says, in me, you may have what? Peace. And it's almost like if you put a slash there, he could say, but in the world, you have what? Tribulation. And then he goes on to say, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So we're going to have tribulation, but Jesus tells us, yes, you're going to have tribulation, but in me, you may have peace. As believers, we already have the peace of God ruling in our hearts because peace is Christ Jesus and he lives within us. And then once again, he says, but you're going to have tribulation. But during the midst of the tribulation, you may have peace in me. And it's almost like when the verse says, in me, you may have peace. It's, it's kind of like, are you going to run to him in the midst of it? Um, anybody 
don't raise your hand. Are you having a rocky marriage tonight? Did you go to bed mad with one another last night? Did you have hard words on the way over here today? Um, just run to the Father, and, and he can right those wrongs. And I'm grateful we serve a God that allows that in our lives. Well, many years in our third child, and some of you have heard me tell this story, and, uh, but I'll, I'll share it with you because I know there are others that have not. Um, we were so excited because we didn't know if we had a little daughter and we had a son, and we didn't know if God would have us add more to our family. So we prayed, and, and we just said, Lord, if it's, this is your desire, then whatever happens, we will receive that as from you. And um, lo and behold, we found ourselves that way, and we were so excited to have another baby. And we would always say, now... Okay, especially with Stephanie, the first one. We found out, and we were so excited. And, and um, Wayne said we were going to a, for a youth activity at church one night in Louisiana, and <clears throat> that's where he was youth pastor. And he said, now, I'm not going to tell anybody. Let's just wait a while and make sure everything's okay. And I said, all right, I, I won't tell either then. So we, we should have known better because we know each other. But he gets in the car, and he said, well, I told about five people. And I said, <laughs> and I said well, I told four. <laughs> so... <laughs> So every time, I grew up in a family, and um, we're, I'm one of eight children, and every time mom and dad, and I don't know if I've shared this in here or not, but every time we found out there was a new baby going to be added to our family, we were ecstatic. And after mom had had maybe like six children, our neighbor had a baby, and I, I, I was so upset that that baby wasn't going to come to our home. And um, we, we just enjoyed those. So we took this into our marriage as my parents' example, and um, we were thrilled. So this was going to be our third child. And uh, this was before the day when they could take the test to let you know if it was going to be a boy or a girl. We didn't know. And we just, we just prayed that the baby would be healthy. And um, that's the prayer of every parent, isn't it? Um, but near the time for this baby to be delivered, I realized one day around noon, I was waiting for Stephanie to come home from kindergarten, and a neighbor was going to bring her home, and I was sitting on the sofa with Stephen, and I was reading a book to him, and all of a sudden, the thought occurred to me, I don't think I felt the baby move this morning, and I just thought, well maybe I'm going into labor because I had heard sometimes before a baby's born, the baby will get quiet before prior to labor. So I, I didn't think too much about it. And then um, I kept as the afternoon continued on, I knew that I hadn't felt the baby move. So I started having contractions and I, um, Wayne came home and we were to go to a Oh, a rehearsal dinner for a marriage and we went and, and I, I, I knew something was wrong. And so we took, we, we got home and my sister arrived to take care of our little children and went to the hospital. And um, the, the nurse uh, tried to find the baby's heartbeat and you know what a thrill that is when, when you hear that in the room and just out, out loud in the room. And, and so they, they prodded and they did it again, tried again, tried again. And, and they said, we, we, we can't find a heartbeat. So they said, the doctor will come in the morning. Well, all through the night, I was having contractions. And I, I thought, well, if I'm having contractions, maybe, maybe, and the nurse said, maybe the baby had moved in a position where you couldn't hear the heartbeat. And so I had that to, to cling to and to hope on. And um, so the doctor came in the next morning, and he said, well, we do have a problem. He said, and this is so far back, they said, we're going to take an x-ray. Now they would probably do ultrasound and know immediately. So he said, we'll do an x-ray, and we can tell from that if the baby's tummy is black, I believe it was, then that means the baby died. 
but if it's clear, then that means the baby is alive. So they took the test, and, and the baby had died. So I had been a believer for about a year, and I didn't know the scriptures like I know them now, and I wish I even knew them better now. But, but in that day, um, I knew the verse that God said that he would give us peace <clears throat> that passes all understanding and that his grace was sufficient. Those are the only two verses I knew, but I was so thankful that God had implanted himself in my life by my invitation and that he had given me those two verses that I could cling to. So um, through the night... <clears throat> Um, they were going to take the baby the next day and Wayne was at the hospital with me and we had um, I, I had just I had gone into uh, the delivery room they were going to take the baby by c-section and I heard uh, I was about to go out they had my arms outstretched and I heard um, lightning and thunder and I thought oh we're having a thunderstorm and then that's all I knew I didn't know anything else for a while well I was so thrilled while we lived in Jackson, Mississippi, that they built a new woman's hospital. And my doctor practiced there and delivered babies there. And I was so thrilled because I thought, this baby is coming in the spring of the year. I will be able to go to this hospital where it's one level. And if a tornado hits the building, well, it's not like everybody be flying in the air if you're up 12 stories. And um, so I was so thrilled about that. Well, when I woke up, I was in my room, and Wayne was standing over me, and I said to him, I said, is it all over? And he said, well, no, because a tornado hit the building and knocked out the power and even the, um, the emergency power. And um, so he said, they're going to take you back in this evening if the weather clears up. So I didn't know um, exactly what had gone on while I was in the delivery room, but when I went back to my doctor about six weeks later, he told me that he had the surgical tool in his hand to cut me open for the C-section, and the lights flickered. But he said, I want you to know, he was a Christian, he said, I want you to know, I had the tool on you ready to make the incision. And he said, the power, the lights flickered, the power went out, and, um, and but we knew we could do the generator and or whatever, the emergency power, but he said that even went out, and he said, that's never happened in all my years of practice. And he was an older man. Well, what I didn't know, Wayne was in the room waiting for me to return, and he heard nurses crying, I mean, not crying, but shouting in the hallway, flashlights in surgery, flashlights in surgery. Well, he knew I was in surgery, and there he was alone, and, and he told me later that, that he had his Bible with him, and he just started reading in the Psalms for God's comfort for himself while he didn't know what was going on with me. So um, we um, went home. And it was a very hard thing for me because I had never experienced tragedy in my life, a, a deep, dark trial like this. And I had always prayed that since I'd just been a believer for a year, I, I told the Lord, I said, I've never had tragedy strike my life. And I said, I'm afraid if it ever does, I will turn away from you. Well, God so sweetly let me know during that time that I needed him more at that point than I'd ever needed him before. And, and he let me know that I didn't know this verse at the time, but that he would cause me to persevere because that's what he does with believers um, because he loves us so. Well, there were people that came to see me after I went home, and, and um, there were some folks that tried to be a comfort. Have you ever lost someone in, at the funeral home or maybe at your home they say things that just sound so horrible to you? Yes, you understand. And I had folks say, well, you know it's God's will. Well, I did know that. 
but it sounded awfully harsh at the moment. And then I heard others, uh, this one guy came and he brought groceries and he, I know he meant well. He was a sweet older man. And he said, you know, I was just thinking on the way over here, God knew that this little girl would not serve the Lord or come to him, so he just decided to take her now. <laughs> well, inwardly, I, wa I wanted to say, but oh, she would have. I would have taught her, and I, w I would have shared with her about what Christ has done in my life. But, but he meant well, and, um, but he just said the wrong thing. And then I had a lady come, and then I'll close with this. She said that um, she, she told me, oh, she showed me a picture of her new grandbaby that was born on the same day that my baby died. And it was like, oh my goodness, but the Lord taught me through that, that I, I was always nervous about going to where people had lost a loved one because I didn't know what to say. And I read a, um, I was reading in a Chuck Swindoll book one day and I love his writing and I, I've never met him. And I may not ever this side of the earth, but one day in heaven, I'll get to meet him. And, um, but he said that he knew a friend that had lost a loved one. And he said um, he was in the funeral home. He had lost one of his children, and he was in the funeral home, and a man came. And he said the man sat down next to him, and he talked, and he talked, and he talked. And the man that was grieving said, I wished he would have gone away. And then he said another friend came in and sat next to him, and he said he didn't say anything except that I'm sorry, and I'm here with you. And the man sat there for hours. And then the man had to leave, and he said, and I wish he would have stayed. So let me just encourage you in this. Maybe you're young and, and, um, or old, <laughs> like we are older, and, um, and you don't know what to say, and I learned from that. Sometimes when you think you have to say something, you may say the wrong thing. So you can just go and be there and... Um, and, and just bless the people that way. Well, after I'd gotten home, and, and they buried our little daughter, and um, the nurse came in. Well, prior to that, while I was still in the hospital, the nurse came in, and she said, well, what do you want to do with your baby? And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, we can dispose of it, or you can have a service. <laughs> and and I, I was thinking, I said, well, well I'm a Christian, and, and she is with the Lord, so I want to have a service. And um, I was so shy in those days that nobody at the hospital asked me if I wanted to see her or hold her. And she was five pounds and um, one ounce. And they, so I didn't ask. And nowadays they take the little baby to you so you can have that closure with the child. And Wayne was at the funeral home and they asked him, they said, do you want to see the baby? Well, he knew I was still in the hospital. This was going to the funeral service. And he said, well, Diana didn't get to see her, so I, I'm going to choose not to see her. And then we can, we can grieve the same. And um, so I, I, um, I learned from that that there were people way back then that didn't have a view of God's call on life. And, and people thought that they could just take my little baby and just throw her away. And um, so that was something that God brought me through. And But I'm stronger because of it today. And so I don't want you to go away feeling sorry. Um, I, I did sorrow after that, and, and I grieved. And, and I was such a new believer that I thought if I cried when I got home, that that meant I wasn't trusting God. And I've learned since that time, oh, yes, you cry. That's a part of letting go. That's a part of your grieving. And it's perfectly fine to do that. And that doesn't mean that you have little faith or that you're not trusting the Father. Well, after I got home, I, 
I was sitting down one afternoon and I had a prayer journal that I had kept that year and I've never done it before or since. But I, I was flipping through it and I looked down on the bottom of the page and I, I said, my prayer was, Lord, please let our baby be healthy. And as soon as I read it, I, I thought in my heart, Lord, you didn't answer my prayer. And I want you to know that that's all right. Those things happen. Don't, don't bother with it. Um, I, I, so I said, Lord, you didn't answer my prayer. And in that still small voice, those of you that have heard his still small voice, not audible, not in the room, but just in here, it was as if when I said, Lord, you didn't answer my prayer. And he said to me and my spirit, oh, I did answer your prayer for your daughter is with me and she is perfectly healthy. And as I sat there in those few moments, just, just thinking about the events that had taken place, God let me see that she never had to be separated from him because of sin. She never had to suffer any childhood diseases. And when God takes us, he comes, the Lord Jesus sends his angels and, and the angels escort our spirit into heaven to be with the Father. And it was as if when the Lord took her spirit, he had to touch me. And I, was, I thought, what a privilege to have been touched by God the Father. And so God showed me all of those things. And then one last thing he said, um, as I thought that sat there before him, and it was as if he would ask me this question, and he would say to me, would you have been willing, if I would have come to you before this happened, would you have been willing to carry this little child for me? A child that you'd never see, a child that you wouldn't hold on this earth, but a child that would go right from you and come right into my presence. And I said to the Lord, yes, I would have been willing to have done that. And that's what he called me to do. So I can share with you in this that even though I didn't know his word like I do now, um, that several years later when God called my daddy home, um, I knew the Lord better and I could trust him in, in the death of my daddy. And even though... Um, I always said to Wayne in my heart, and I, I thought it a lot, that if God took my daddy, I didn't think I could survive. Well, God proved himself once again in my life. So if you've never lost a loved one, yes, it's, it's hard and the grief will be there, but more importantly than that, God the Father will be with you. And remember, in him, we have peace. We may have peace, the scripture says, but in this world we will have tribulation. So don't get angry at God when trials come upon you. That happens because we live in a fallen world. And God never intended for it to be this way, but it is this way because of the sin of Adam. And um, let me just encourage you in that. In your marriage, hardships will come, trials will come, tragedies will have to be faced together. But um, please just run to him. And it would not have been my will for the baby to, to be um, taken, but it was God's will. And I loved what Jesus prayed in the garden when he said, take this cup from me. And then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And I, I thought about that, um, and I read that the other day, and I, I thought, Lord, I, I want that to be imprinted upon my heart, that your will may not be exactly what I'm thinking it should be, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. God bless you, sweet people. Watching Dinah go through that in the difficult days um, is just proof of the fact that 
now she can share it. You comfort wherein you've been comforted. So God's always working. It doesn't mean that you'll be spared the pain. And a lot of people will tell you that you'll be spared the pain. And because you're not doing this or not doing that, this is why your pain's there. That's ridiculous. It's part of the process. It's part of the journey. And uh, thanks, Diana, for sharing that. I remember standing out in the hall, in that dark hallway, wondering what's going on after I'd been in the room. And I came out in the hall, and this nurse said, Wayne, is that you? <laughs> I said, yeah. And she said, I knew it was you, because there's nobody else in the whole hall as tall as you are. And she said, Diana's okay. Diana's okay. That the power went out, but they didn't have started the surgery. And I, I never forget that. And how we grew through that together. Don't forget the triangle. Yes, you can do it on your own. Yes, but it's so much sweeter when you grow through it together. And then God gives you a message that you can share with others. And, and the other things that happen, you're able to bear up under. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.